It is February 19th. It's a Monday. How is February going so fast? Well, January felt so slow. Fun fact for you, though, to kick your week off, on this day, February 19th, 60 years ago, a British company had to send around 500 kilograms worth of Beatles wigs to the US because they were flying off the American shelves and the States had run out of them. These were like the first ever merch, right? Like, forget a T-shirt at a concert, wigs. Beatles wigs was where it was at in 1964. Kia ora, this is Newsable. I'm Imogen and this is what's worth talking about. Why is it still legal to leave a dog tied up constantly? We're speaking to the SPCA on the law change it wants now. Prime Minister Christopher Luxon's given his first State of the Nation speech, What You Need to Know. The Aussie cricket team's in town, so can the Black Caps repeat their performance against South Africa? And do you sleep? With the light on, we have the surprising results from a recent survey. All that's coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. From calluses to ingrown collars, that's the suffering reality of dogs left chained up 24-7. Last year, new regulations were proposed to ban the practice in New Zealand, which went out to public consultation and landed on the desk of former minister in charge, Joe Luxton. But then an election got in the way. That old thing. So will the new coalition government pick this up where it was last left off? That appears to be an open question because in a statement provided to Newsable, new Associate Agriculture Minister Andrew Hoggard stopped short of taking a position on a proposed ban and denies animals are at risk without a law change, saying inspectors can still intervene via the Animal Welfare Act. He says he will be briefed by officials and then make any subsequent decisions, taking the public consultation into account. But is the time for action long overdue? Here to tell us more about the issue is SPCA Scientific Officer Dr Alison Vaughan. Alison, how serious and widespread is this problem? Are people really tying up their dog and just never letting them run free? Yeah, it is fair to say that this is something that our inspectors encounter on a weekly basis. And I think people may not quite realise the scale of it. It is something that is quite hard to track because these are often dogs that aren't necessarily visible to people not on the property. What are some of the worst cases you've seen? Well, some of the worst cases um, involve dogs where we see things like um, chains or collars that have damaged the skin, even grown into them. But also we see a lot of dogs that experience flyby, so where they've been in an area for a long time covered in feces and encounter a lot of flies, um, which cause damage to their ears. And so with these horror stories, is there any reason why this shouldn't be banned? No, I mean, this actually enjoys really widespread support. The proposal to introduce regulations to specifically address prolonged tethering of dogs. So we're not talking about if you have to tether your dog because you have people coming over and you don't want them rampaging through your picnic. What we're talking about here is regulations that specifically target this prolonged tethering. So dogs, as you said, who live their whole lives stuck on a chain. To be clear, without a ban, even with the Animal Welfare Act, are dogs' lives and their well-being at risk? Yes, uh, categorically. One of the challenges inspectors face is with um, mental suffering, although the Animal Welfare Act recognises animals as sentient, the current tools make it really challenging to intervene in cases where the dogs aren't obviously physically suffering. 
So where they have shelter, water, and they are being fed, it's actually really hard to intervene. This has been described as New Zealand's dirty little secret by staff's own senior writer, Virginia Fallon. Do you agree? And do you think many Kiwis spend their lives just oblivious that this is even going on? I really do, because it's not a, a, an issue that confronts people on a daily basis. But every day while we have been waiting, while these regulations have been sitting there ready to progress, these dogs have been living these lives. SPCA Scientific Officer Dr Alison Vaughan, thank you so much for joining us. We're talking sleeping with the light on a little later. So do you sleep with the light on? Personally, if can't sleep if the lights are on, we'll wake up if the light is on as well. If, you, if, if the light is on, Imogen is up and Adam. But let me know if you do sleep with the light on. Email us, newsable at stuff.co.nz. And we'll also get a poll up on Insta as well. Make sure you're following NZ Stuff to get your vote in. The state of the nation is fragile, according to Prime Minister Christopher Luxon, who has delivered his first state of the nation speech as our country's leader. Luxon told hundreds of party faithful in Auckland's Mount Wellington the challenges we face as a country won't be fixed in their first hundred days, nor the hundred days after that. It will mean us making tough choices together. But I am not going to apologise for making tough choices to support young people off welfare and into work because 24 years languishing on welfare means no hope. It means no opportunity. It means no dignity from work. So I will not apologise for tough love. Here for some top-notch hot takes is Stuff's chief political correspondent and friend of Newsable, Tova O'Brien, who's on the ground with the Prime Minister. Kia ora, Tova. Kia ora, and very lovely to talk to you. Happy belated New Year. Happy <laughs> belated New Year to you too. Fragile is the word Christopher Luxon used to describe. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it, it is, right? We know the cost of living is high, uh, families are struggling, the country's in debt, public transport's shot, the health system's in crisis, housing as well. So I think there's, there's probably no doubt that the state of the nation is fragile. Where you think the blame lies will depend on your perspective, it will depend on your politics, but definitely for the true blue, you died in the pool, National Party supporters who were present at the Prime Minister's speech, they lapped up the blame that Christopher Luxon was placing at Labour's feet. They lapped up with great applause and cries of, back on track, uh, the fact that National is repealing and cancelling so much of what the last government what the last government set in train. This State of the Nation speech still had this massive focus on attacking Labour. I get that we're still early days in this coalition government, but is it time to move on and just start focusing on yourself and what you're doing? Yeah, yeah. We asked him that. We asked the Prime Minister that if repealing and cancelling things would be what this government stood for, undoing rather than doing. Uh, and he said he's not going to make any apologies for doing what they said they were going to do for two years in the lead up to the election. They said they were going to knock off um, the support from the Prime Minister, dumb and stupid and expensive things like three waters. Um, so, yes, there's a real strong focus, I think, on what Labour did and it's a real strong focus on undoing all of what Labour did. But it, he is kind of right as well. It is what it says on the tin. The government's doing what it says on the tin. It has a mandate for this stuff. And you'll remember as well that even in their sixth year, Labour was still screaming nine long years of neglect about the previous national government as well. So it's what governments do. Um, they blame the other guys for the state of the past, state of affairs of, of anything so that they can vindicate the policy agenda that they're, they're putting forward. But I think there probably will come a point 
and probably after the first 100 days is up that voters will want to see a bit more doing alongside that undoing. Well, there didn't appear to be much new in the State of the Nation speech either. Did you see this as a prime ministerial State of the Nation speech or that of an opposition leader? I did see it as a prime ministerial State of the Nation at, at this stage of the electoral cycle. I think there could have been um, probably a lot more in the speech to bolster it. Some people might have wanted a bit more a bit more vision, but again, we know what the government's about at this juncture, and it's about wiping a kind of clean slate, really, in a way, after Labour. That's what it campaigned on, that's what people voted for, that's what it's doing. The Prime Minister said he didn't need anything new, that they've got their 100-day plan with all of those action points built in. Um, but I think there is always room in these big set-piece speeches, and we have seen it traditionally for Prime Ministers and leaders of the opposition as well. When you make these big speeches, you do announce something new, a new policy or a new policy direction, and I think the Prime Minister was perhaps remiss there. He, he missed a bit of a trick. The Coalition is 80-odd days in now. Does it still feel like this is the new kids on the block or has Christopher Luxon and the other parties involved totally assumed their new roles and have that look and feel of being in control? I think they're still working their way through it and you can see that Christopher Luxon is running things like a chief executive with his 100-day plans and his action points and the way he delegates to his ministers, the KPIs and targets he sets, these big kind of sweeping high-level speeches that don't say a lot new and spend a lot of time blaming um, the last guys. But when that comes unstuck and where the inexperience, I think, is, is really showing up is politics isn't a business. This is a country, it's not a company. And on top of that, you've got New Zealand First and ACT to deal with, neither of whom, um, I should point out, were mentioned in Christopher Luxon's big speech. It didn't, he didn't mention climate change, poverty or the Treaty of Waitangi either. The Greens have been quick to, to point out. But I think that's where that kind of inexperience is showing up is the way that the Prime Minister deals with those coalition dynamics. Staff's Chief Political Correspondent Tovar O'Brien, always great to chat. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. Black Caps Chat is up next ahead of their series against the Aussies, which kicks off this week. And hey, if you are enjoying what you're hearing, do chuck us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform because it'll mean other people find us. The Black Caps will be riding high as they prepare to counter old foes. Old friends? Australia this week. Kane Williamson scored his 32nd Test century to take the final test against South Africa. The first time the Black Caps have ever defeated South Africa in a test series after 92 years of trying. But will they be able to repeat the performance against the Aussies? Well, former Black Cap Dion Nash is here to give us his reckons for Newsable Sport, proudly brought to you by Sky, your sport unrivaled. Kia ora, Dion. Welcome to Newsable. Oh, thanks for having me. Does the South Africa test mean the Black Caps are ready and rearing to go against the Aussies, starting with the T20 match on Wednesday in Wally? Oh, gosh. Um, well, look, they did everything they had to do, I think. And, you know, we've seen, um, obviously, Kane Williamson play two fantastic innings and Ravindra, you know, get his double century. And I think also the blooding of um, some new talent in the form of um, fast bowling. And uh, generally, I think across the board, you'd say they played really well. I think the big sort of caveat to all of that is, you know, the strength of the opposition was not anywhere near, um, you know, the, the, what they're about to come up to. So what sort of challenges do the Aussies present uh, going into this week compared to what we saw against South Africa? Well, it just ratchets up a, a massive level, you know, no no disrespect to that South African side, but, you know, that was a, a reasonably good first-class outfit, but with lacking real firepower in any 
sort of facet of the game, you know, whereas you're now coming up against the likes of, you know, Pat Cummings and Mitchell Stark and Steve Smith and, you know, just genuine world-class firepower in all aspects of the game. Nathan Lyon, you know, these guys are the superstars of the moment and and that team is a very, very good side. Um, And that's exciting. I don't think we should be fearing that. That's absolutely what a feast for for cricket fans in New Zealand to have these guys in, in our country playing our side in the height of summer, it's just magnificent. And I think, you know, the, the challenge for our Black Caps is that they embrace this and step up to the plate for it. We've got a great side as well with lots of experience and, and talent, but, you know, this is a this is a toe-to-toe battle we're about to go into. It's a, it's, you know, a title fight. When it comes to our friends across the ditch, Australia, do the Black Caps want to beat them more than any other team? I, I think not because they're Australia as such. Um, no, I think, sure? but 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 I think because they're the best. You know, mm. so I I think they they are the benchmark of of where world cricket is at generally, and they have been for a long long period of time. It's a little bit like touring teams beating the All Blacks. It's it's a feather in your cap. And I think that probably outweighs all other aspects, you know. Um, it's like this is the market. If we can beat Australia at home, then we are a genuinely world-class side, genuinely. Dion Nash, thank you for joining us for Newsable Sport. Proudly brought to you by Sky, your sport unrivaled. And remember, Sky Sport has international cricket all year round from all around the world, including the current series between India and England. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. So a survey done in the UK, which, mind, and full disclaimer, it was commissioned by Netflix ahead of a film it's putting out about a boy who is terrified of the dark. Bear that in mind. But this survey has found that one in four British adults sleep with the light on. One in four. That's 25%. So I'm just confirming my maths around in my head. Don't know why I'm trying to do it in my head. Wouldn't be able to tell you anyway. But it's 25%. Now, I know this isn't the most scientific of all scientific pieces of research, but one in four. Here's another clanger from the survey. Nearly one in five say they're terrified to sleep with their feet hanging out of the duvet. Welcome them to come and spend a muggy night in Wellington or Auckland, uh, is what I'd say to that. The Daily Mail spoke to a psychologist about these results and they had something quite interesting to say about it in that adults who are afraid of the dark may associate the dark with the inability to be in control. She can't see anything and so if anything bad were to happen, you'd be unprepared. Like I said earlier, if there's a light, I'm awake. Unless I'm exhausted... Or it's like a long car journey, I suppose. But anyway, do get in touch. Do you sleep with the light on? I'd be very interested to know. Email us, vote on our Instagram poll. On that note, that is Newsable for today. I'm Imogen Wells. Maybe I'll try sleeping with the light on. That won't work. You don't want a grumpy Imogen. If you liked listening to this pod... Help us make more like this. Visit stuff.co.nz/support.
I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, I, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line no, there. That, that, I think Chris, that, it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah we're, I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing a fair there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts.